I'm going to talk about isolated instance of racism. Um, and it's not really... I'm going to tell you three short stories, and they're not really short stories I ever wanted to make public. They belong to me and to me only. But um, I guess 20 minutes after the referendum results were announced, uh, someone threatened to set my greasy ass on fire on Twitter and my timeline was flooded with loads and loads of right-wing trolls telling me to go home now and obviously that was quite upsetting and um, when I talked about it um, people told me oh they're just isolated incidents oh settle down soon it's just a bunch of idiots and I thought about that and I thought about Joe Cox and I thought about other isolated incidents and the lasting impact that isolated incidents of racism can have in our lives. And I guess, I just, yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you these stories. That's enough preamble, even though I've, I've started the thing. Okay, so I'm cycling round Harrow, where I grew up, round the streets that I knew so well. I'm really excited because uh, the single Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dogg has just dropped, and I'm really excited about getting it because um, I have a problematic relationship with gangster rap. I'm 14 years old, and I'm growing up in the suburb of London. What else am, am I into? Um, so I go to Woolworths, uh, just to date it a little bit, and I buy two two copies of the CD single of Regulate, and one for me, one for a friend, because I'm nice. And I'm cycling home through the streets that I know. And I get to... So I'm cycling on the pavement, which I, I now know is illegal. <laughs> um, and I get to a zebra crossing. I'm just about to cross onto the zebra crossing. I think it's... Um, I think my coast is clear, so I start to cycle onto the zebra crossing and I'm hit by a car that just comes out of nowhere and I fall and my bike falls on top of me and I'm shocked. And the person gets out of the car, runs around to inspect the damage that my bike and I may have done to the car, screams at me that I'm a blind packy and then drives off. And I then walk my bike home. I... I'm turning this over and over in my head because I understand that racism exists. I understand that um, in the 60s, my dad had um, members of the NF bash, you know, break bottles over his head. I understand that there was packy bashing and I understood racism to be violent. And, but that this moment, these two words, blind packy, they really, really stay with me. That night, I can't sleep. I'm just turning it over and over in my head blind packy and in in the days and the weeks that after after that incident I start to not really sleep I start to become an insomniac which I, I still am to this day and um these words just keep haunting me I you know I they, they, they start to weigh down on me and I start to feel a degree of self-hate I start to um think about how me and my cousins have used the word packy in jest at each other in, in really problematic ways. You're such a packy, we'll say to each other, um, when, you know, when we smell a bit sweaty or we stink of curry or whatever. Um, you know, things like Bangor and Bollywood, they start to feel really, really cheesy. When, when my mum talks to me in Gujarati, I start to reply to her in English because it's important to me that I'm not a blind packy, that I am a member of this country. And 
that bit of me starts to disappear. And I stopped going out around that time because the idea of going out, because my streets no longer feel safe to me. In my streets, I might be hit by a car and I might be called a blind packy. And so I start to stay at home more and more. I, I lose my teenage years to sitting in my bedroom, listening to gangster rap, listening to that Warren G CD, reading comics, trying to transcribing rap lyrics, reading paperbacks, um, watching, spending every Friday night watching sitcoms with my mum. Every time I go out, I have to know when I'm being picked up. I won't take public transport anymore. It suddenly feels unsafe to me. I grew up in London, so, you know, the bus and the underground, you know, it should feel, it should feel like an e easy option. Um, every day I'm at school, I have to phone my mum at some point. I have to find an excuse to phone my mum at some point, point during the day to ask her what time she's picking me up because the thought of having to wait for her for 10 minutes and the prospect that she might not show up. I'm 14, 15 years old at this point. It just fills me with such panic. I, I, I decline invitations from friends to go out. Um, I remember once I went bowling with some friends and they were, doing, they were playing this game where... Um, we were on ha in Harrow on the Hill station and there's like four platforms and they were basically running up um, to the top of the stairs onto another platform, taking a train one stop and then taking it back and then trying to lose each other in, these sort of three, in this sort of three station radius. And I get so worried that I'm just going to end up in London by accident that I pretend to trip and let them get onto a train. I go and phone my mum and I sit on the steps of Harrow on the Hill station and I'll wait for her to pick me up. And this goes on, and eventually my mum and dad start to worry. And my, my cousin at the time was the assistant manager of Dixon's in Watford, and he was my saviour because my mum and dad asked him to get me a, a Saturday job at Dixon's in Watford, and I get the Saturday job, and they, just, they, they drop me there. And I start, I start, to, I start to sort of spread my, spread my wings a little bit, I guess. Um, I start to um, you know, enjoy the space of like going to Watford, working in small electronics, selling Walkmans and Discmans and mini-discs to people. This is such a nostalgia-filled talk. Um, and um, eventually I start taking the train to the, my job on Saturdays and Sundays, which is a big thing for me. Um, and it gets to a point where things are going well. I'm starting to think about university. I'm going to university in, in the East End of London, and I decide I'm going to stay in halls. No, I'm going to stay in self-catering halls. I'm going to learn to cook... And I'm going to stay in self-catering halls and I'm going to be an independent person. <laughs> and I even take the train. I'm so confident because of my Saturday job. I take the train to Hackney Wick, which in, what, 1998, pre-Hackney Wick being cool, guys, um, to check out the halls. And I'm like, I'm really excited about this. And then a Saturday, a Saturday or a Sunday at Dixon's, I am on tills with Jenny because Chris has gone on lunch. And I'm... I'm ringing through batteries and hi-fis and whatever you do in Dixon's. And a guy approaches the counter. He's got some Game Boy games. And he sort of hesitates because he's waiting for Jenny to be free. And I'm free. And I ask if he wants to come forward. And he says, no, I want, to, I want someone who speaks English. And I, and I say, I speak English. And he says, that doesn't make you fucking English, does it? And he puts the Game Boy games down and he storms out. The next day, I or the next Monday, I cancel those halls and I spend the first two years living at home, um, commuting on the train to university. And 
I regress again. Um, that, you know, that night, I have to get my mum to pick me up again. Um, and in, in the third year of uh, university, I think this is silly now, I've got a girlfriend, I found her on the internet. <laughs> Pre-internet dating being cool, guys. <laughs> Since 1999, <laughs> um, and I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna do halls. You know, my my friend my friend Chen lived in halls in the centre of town, and I used to go and study with him um, after lectures and stuff. And that kind of feels like a safe place for 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 me. So why not? Um, so I sign up to stay at these halls in the centre of in the centre of London. Um, and it's all going well. I, I make, make friends. People hang out in my room until two in the morning discussing Bob Dylan and B-sides. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, have you had the new Black Star album? Tal of Quali's sick. And they're like, did, what? <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I start smoking as well. I start smoking at 21 years old, which sort of seems a bit late and tragic, but, you know, I was, I was a late bloomer. Um, so anyway, things are going well. Things are finally going well for old Shuckleplex. That's not a nickname I've ever called myself before, by the way. Um, I just made it up. I don't think it works. I don't think I'm going to call myself old Shuckleplex going forward. Um, so... I go to a comedy club with my, my Dylan-obsessed friend because, like, the intersection between my problematic gangster rap obsession and his Bob Dylan obsession is stand-up comedy for some reason. And we go to um, a late-night show at the Comedy Store in London's fashionable West End. And we're standing in line. We're both waiting for, the, like, the midnight show, and we're both first in line because we want to get good seats. We want to be heckled by the, by the compare. That's, that's, that's a badge of honour when you go and see stand-up, right? And um, we're talking, and we're talking about Bob Dylan B-sides, and I, I have a fag. And I step out of line to have this cigarette because I think it's probably a bit polite. People might not want my, the backdraft of my cool smoke. Um, and I carry on talking with my friend, and then I step back into the queue once I finish my cigarette, and this, wo this woman behind me says to this man, oh, check out the pack you're pushing in. And I stop. And I've heard this word again, and I'm back underneath that bike. And <laughs> I don't really know what to do. And I feel like at this point, I, I want to say something. I've, I've, these little things, these little things that have tripped up my mental health and my, my self-worth all these years, they... They need to be addressed. That you know, it's all culminating in this thing, right? I need to say something to all these people who have just made me feel really depressed and not wanting to leave the house for years and years and years. So I turn around to face her, and I'm going to face down all of the racists. I'm going to face down those guys who broke that bottle over my dad's head in, in the 60s. And I'm really taken aback because she's, she's really fit. And like that just stops me for a second. And... Like, I pause, and I think that pause, that pause is probably what ruins the ire, because I'm like, what did you just say? Did you just call me a packy? And she doesn't answer me, and her boyfriend leans in and says, I don't think you, I don't think you know what you heard there, pal. And I don't really know what to say. So I turn around, and I let Matt talk at me about Bob Dylan, and we go in, 
and we watch stand-up. The next day, I leave halls. Um, it's about, I've got two weeks left because I've finished my exams and I've got two weeks to, to ask about and I can't do it. I don't want to be here anymore. So I call up my dad, pack up all my stuff while all my friends are out having their last exams and I go home two weeks early. And so when someone tells me when I'm 36 years old that someone threatening to set my greasy ass on fire on Twitter, it's just an isolated incident and it'll all settle down. I just think, you don't know me, my friend. Thanks.